Mark 4, 35 to 520. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon sorry and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region as he was getting into the boat the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him and he did not permit him but said to him go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So far, Jesus has been teaching with parables. The kingdom is like a mustard seed, the lamp shining in the dark, Jesus binding the strong man. But now in this passage, we see Jesus' parables start coming to life. 
It's time for the disciples to go out of the classroom and into the real world, into a ship tossed at sea, into a graveyard haunted by hell. Jesus brings his disciples into these scary moments in order, in order to expose and drive out the fear that is in them, the lack of trust, because he wants them, he wants us, to trust him in all scenarios, that he is powerful and that he is merciful. He wants the same for us. Trust him. That's today's sermon. It's simple. Trust Jesus. We're going to look at the text under three headings this morning. One, Jesus calms the storm. Two, Jesus defeats Satan's army. Three, so trust Jesus. So first, Jesus calms the storm. Jesus, knowing full well what is about to happen, uh, he knows that storm's coming. He says, look at verse 1. He says to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. So they hop in the boat and set out. Uh, the disciples, uh, they feared storms, and rightly so. See, the storms on the Sea of Galilee, they could come quick and suddenly. If you know anything about the geography of the Sea of Galilee, you have the sea, and it's sort of a basin surrounded by mountains on all sides, except for a big breach in the bottom southernmost section. And if the wind changes course and blows through that breach and pours in, uh, the wind can get stirred up, goes really fast, and it can cause a storm in a matter of seconds. Big storms. The sea will be completely flat and, and then chaotic. And the, the disciples, a lot of them were fishermen. They, they knew the sea. They knew how it worked what it could do. They knew that actually storms were most common in the afternoon. And so they're happy to do a lot of their fishing at night. And so now that it's evening and Jesus says, hey, let's go across the other side. They're like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's do it. But then the nightmare scenario happens. A great wind pours through the breach. And look at verse 37. Waves, they start crashing into the boat, filling it with water. And look, look, these disciples, they, they get scared, but they're not wimps. These are trained men that they knew what the sea was like. They knew they were going to drown. Put yourself in their shoes for a second, their wet shoes for a second. They knew they were going to drown. Peter's probably thinking about how he's never going to see his wife again. Adrenaline is just burning through their veins. They can't see a way to save themselves. All that they have left is a miracle. Now, they've been hanging out with Jesus for a little while. They know that he's the miracle man. But where is Jesus? Where is their miracle man? Where's the guy who knew how to get God's help in, like, crazy ways? Where is he? Look at verse 38. In the stern, asleep on a cushion. Sleeping. And you can imagine the disciples, that they're panicking, you know, and they start shaking him, you know, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Wake up. Do you not care? As Gordon Lightfoot sang, does any man know where the love of God goes when the waves turn the minutes to hours? Uh, these, these disciples, they feared that, that God had abandoned them to die in the storm. 
But when Jesus awoke, their fear changed into something else. See verse 39. Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind. He rebukes it as if it's like a person doing something wrong. Hold on to that. And then he tells the sea, peace, be still. I don't really like that translation, though. If you read the original, it it literally says, hush, be silent. He he tells the sea the same thing that he tells all those demons that he encounters. Be silent. Stop talking. Shut your mouth. So what's he doing? Uh, He's he's picking up on a, a history of biblical imagery that goes throughout the Old Testament, which describes God's enemies as as raging seas, big waves. Uh, Pharaoh's depicted as like a sea serpent. Uh, There's a lot of bad stuff with the sea. And the Lord, all throughout the Old Testament, says he will vanquish the evil of the sea. He will judge it with his mighty spiritual power. So, Jesus speaks... And then immediately, the wind stops blowing. The sea settles down. And in that moment, the fear of the sea that the disciples had transitions into a fear of Jesus. The original says that they feared a great fear. Who was Jesus? He wasn't just their rabbi anymore. He wasn't just some guy who could heal people. No, he calmed a sea. That's something that only a God could do. Like how in the story of Jonah, whenever Jonah was in the boat and it was being tossed by the waves, uh, the, the waves calmed down once Jonah was thrown over, overboard. God calmed the sea in that moment. If he could control the sea, what could he do to them? Jesus is showing them that he has ultimate power. That the power of God over all creation is with Jesus. But they should not fear. In fact, in this moment, Jesus is modeling a true faith for them. He's saying that God is in control over all situations, whatever storm. God is in control over their lives. The winds, everything's, everything. And this is why he's, he's sleeping, I think. It wasn't just because he's tired because he's teaching all day. Nobody sleeps through a storm like that. He was showing them what it looks like to have a rock-solid faith, a true trust in God. Like King David, who in Psalm 3, whenever David is, is the waves of enemies are crashing upon him, he says... I I lay down and I I slept and I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Or in Psalm 4, whenever he is being uh, in distress from all of his foes, he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep for you, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That is faith. And Jesus here, he's like a living parable of what faith looks like. A man who trusts God is like a sailor asleep in a storm at sea, for he knows that the Lord will take care of him. Something like that. So what does all this mean for us? Is it a sin to be afraid? No. But our fears should drive us to Christ for help. And what else? Am I supposed to stand up here and tell you that 
that, that God will carry you safely through all the storms in your life. Is that what this text is telling us? I mean, yeah, in a sense he will, but no, not really. God will not always carry you through your storms safely as you would like. Every man in that boat would die. They would face a more serious storm and die. First Jesus on the cross and then the disciples that come after him. Jesus, by saving them from this earthly storm, was preparing them to weather a greater storm when there would be swords to their necks, when they would die for following him. A more serious storm was coming. It would kill their bodies and it would cast their souls headlong into the presence of the living God. And if you ever need to trust in Christ, it is whenever you are before a holy, holy, holy God. I think that's part of the reason why he uses such spiritual language to describe the storm, talking to it as if it's a demon. He's saying that, that he is up to something in the spiritual realm. He is going to defend us in a spiritual way, a way even more real than our flesh and bones. See, you and me, we want to be saved from our earthly storms. I mean, look, the other day I was, I was on the bus and I was trying to read and there's this guy like whistling loudly and poorly behind me. I thought I was going to go insane. Uh, th th that's barely a rain cloud, you know, but have, have you ever feared death? Has your body begun to fail you? You know, what a bitter storm that can be. It is truly painful. It is truly scary. It could be a time of sleepless nights, a night where you're sleepless, but you feel like, like God's sleeping. You know, where is Jesus to help you in those moments? But friends, Jesus still teaches through storms. The storms in your life right now, whatever they are, they are ways of him teaching you to trust in his power. So put the parables into action. Entrust your body to him. Entrust your soul to him. Yeah, these, these storms are scary. These are his mysterious gifts to you. Crucibles to test and to strengthen your faith. To purge you of lesser fears. Whenever the storms are on you, fear not. Jesus will calm the greatest of storms. Put your trust in him. So one, Jesus calms the storm. Two, Jesus defeats Satan's army. So now in this, this next paragraph, we see that Jesus goes to war. So they're sailing along. The disciples, you know, their clothes are starting to dry out in the breeze. And they look, they see shore approaching. And, and you know that these disciples have never been happier to get to dry land. They are going to hop out and they're going to kiss the sand whenever they land. But then something strange happens. They see a man running to them down the hill, screaming, covered in blood, dirty, naked according to Luke's gospel, howling and shouting, a, a, a lunatic. And he falls down on the shore at Jesus' feet. This is the demoniac, the demonized man, a man utterly tormented by evil. 
He's a living nightmare in and of himself. He's the bogeyman, a monster to keep away from your house. He's, he's the guy that, that parents would tell their kids, you know, don't go near the tombs, don't go near the graveyard, because that guy is there. They, they tried to chain him up with chains and shackles, but nothing worked. Nothing could bind this strong man. Look at verse 4. They, they put all sorts of, of things on him to stop him, but, but he's like the Hulk, you know, he just rips it off. Yet he wasn't only a horror to the townspeople, he was a horror to himself. Verse 5. All night, all day, he would cry out in agony. He would, he would take stones and he would cut himself. It was gruesome. It was self-mutilating behavior. Did he long for death? I, I assume so. He, he's dwelling in the tombs. He's probably waiting to be put out of his misery. And that, that cutting, it's really troubling to me. Maybe he was trying to cut the evil out of him. He had a, a legion of demons inside. He wants to go left, and they, 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 in him, that they march him right. He, he wants to go home to his parents and sit at the, the family table again, but, but they drive him away like a puppet. Chains might not have been able to hold his, his flesh, but, but the, the true sadness is that this poor man was held captive. He was the one enchained, being tormented by evil. And so these, these spirits inside of him, they, they take him and, and they toss him at the feet of Jesus as if they're, they're drawing up lines of troops for battle. And this battle is not one with swords and spears. This is, this is a battle of words. It's an exorcism. So there, there on the beach, Jesus and the legion face off. And uh, Jesus tells the demons, come out of this man. But the demons don't obey. Uh, the demoniac then launches the, the counter assault against Jesus. Look at verse 7. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus? son of the most high God. So back then, there was this idea that if you knew somebody's name, you had power over them in a sense. And it's kind of silly to us because it's like, if you know he's Jesus, son of the most high God, why would you like still want to fight against him? But the idea was like, if, if he, because he knew it was the son of the most high God, it was like he exposed the trick. Like he knew that there was an ambush and he was like, yeah, Jesus, you're not going to trick me. I know who you are. I know who you are, so you better run because you can't do anything against me. It was more like that. But Jesus is unfazed. And, and notice his response. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't say to him, aha, but I know who you are too. He, he doesn't play the game. Look at verse 9. Jesus asks him his name. Now, that's a power move. Uh, it, it, then from the demoniac's lips comes trembling this, this, this phrase, my name is Legion, for we are many. My name is Legion, for we are many. And, you know, I, I wonder if in the past that the demons had used that name with bravado. You know, maybe as, as the demoniac was cutting himself at night, shouting for the demons to leave him, Maybe they would hiss in his ear, you know, we are many, 
We're like a legion of thousands of Roman soldiers. You cannot get rid of us. But now, at Jesus' feet, they see that their end has come. So trembling, they ask Jesus for, for mercy. You know, send us into that herd of pigs nearby. Don't send us out of this country. Just send us there. And Jesus allows it. Maybe, maybe this story's confused you in the past. It's confused me. Jesus allows the demons to come out of this man and go into this herd of pigs. Now, the irony is the pigs immediately rush down the hillside and they drowned. And look, if you're upset about the pigs, just imagine they're mosquitoes or something. But what's going on here? The demons clearly did not expect the, the pigs to rush down into the sea and drowned. I don't think it was like this, the self-harm of the demoniac. I think this really caught them off guard. So what is happening? I think Jesus is showing his ultimate victory over evil. So just how he treated the storm like it was a, de a demon and, and told it to be silent. You know, you, you have no power here. You know, be, be cursed. And the sea calmed down. Now he's sending the legion into the sea to drown and be along with their fellow demons in defeat. Just like how Pharaoh's army was drowned in the Red Sea. And, and the beauty of all of this, it's, it's not just that Jesus is winning. The beauty of this is that Jesus came all this way to have such a big battle against the legions of Satan's army to have mercy upon one person, one tormented sinner, to take him out of the clutches of evil and to cleanse him of all his sinful ways, to set him down, as verse 15 says, clothed in his right mind. See, this is Jesus' power and his mercy mixed together on display. And it's not just this isolated story. This is a snapshot of, of his victory for all of us. The worldwide victory that Jesus will have over sin. See, Jesus will have his victory, whether it's in a Jewish synagogue in chapter 1 against a demon, or in a pagan graveyard here in chapter 5. And you know, uh, Jesus didn't only save one man here among the Gerasenes. In, in Matthew's gospel, it actually says that there's another man there too. He got the same treatment saved by Jesus. And look, if, if you're not a Christian this morning, or maybe you're a Christian and you're like, what in the world does this demon stuff have to do with me? This story matters primarily because Jesus is showing his, his victory over the spiritual realm for us. You will not understand Jesus. You may think you know who he is. You may, you may have ideas you, you read somewhere. But, but you will not understand who he truly is unless you understand what he's really doing in the spiritual realm. See, he didn't just come from across the sea. He came from heaven to get you. He didn't just visit the tombs. He died and he went into the grave to pull you out. He didn't just send demons into the sea. No, he, he bound Satan to save your soul, 
to rescue you from your self-destructive, self-mutilating evil. Now, I don't say that people who actually struggle with self-harm are are demon-possessed or something. No, no, no. See, our sin in and of itself is self-destructive. It damages us and it destroys our relationships with others. It leaves us in pain, isolated. But Jesus wants to restore you fully. That's why he came all this way. Have you seen Jesus' boat land upon your shore? Maybe you're new to this Christianity thing, and you're young or something, and maybe God seems scary to you like this enemy who's about to wage war on you. You don't want to hear what he has to say. You think he's just here to stop you from doing the things that you want to do. But look, do not fear. He's come to rescue you. He's come to free you from your slavery to your your own desires. Not to destroy you. Maybe you're a teenager here this morning and you feel like Jesus is here to destroy what you want. He's not here to destroy you. He's here to rescue you. You don't have to fear because Jesus is merciful. Look what he did for the demoniac. The scariest, like, worst sort of sinful person that we could imagine. Somebody who just hates and harms, hates himself, hates everybody. Jesus is merciful to such. He's merciful to us. Do not fear. He's like a good doctor. He's here to heal. Now, this is also an encouragement to those of us who've been following Jesus for a while now. Because sometimes, look, it still feels like there's a legion in us. Uh, not, that, not that we're possessed by it. If you've got the spirit, you, there's no demon in you. Uh, but it, it sometimes feels like our sin is so strong. We want to do right, but the very thing we want to do, we cannot do. Just as Jesus healed this man with a word, so too will he heal us with his word. Every week, whenever we gather here to study it, every day, whenever you spend time with him, Jesus is at work healing. He defeated Satan's legions. He will defeat the sin in you. Jesus will have victory. Maybe this idea of Jesus as a mighty warrior in battle is new to you, but that is who Jesus is. He is powerful and he is merciful. So do not fear. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus defeats Satan's army. So what? What must we do? Uh, Point three, trust Jesus. Trust him. Remember how the disciples, they responded in fear whenever Jesus calmed the storm? Well, the local people here also respond in fear. That's why these parallels are are so strong in this passage. that They respond the same way. Look at verse 15. They saw their boogeyman, and he was sitting there clothed in his right mind, and and they were afraid, the text says. And then you can imagine that they they look past them, and they look out to the sea, and, and all those dead pigs are probably starting to wash up on the shore. And can you imagine the stink of that for like the next month? Like it, it really affected that community. Verse 17, what do they do? They ask Jesus to leave. Why would they ask Jesus to leave? A big reason is that Jesus just cost them their livelihood. 
They couldn't afford to have Jesus do something like that again. Jesus is a threat to their way of life, essentially. See, it doesn't matter that they say that Jesus saved one of their people from demons. One person was not worth it in their eyes. But it's oh so worth it in Jesus' eyes. Who is Jesus? Jesus is like the shepherd who, who leaves his 99 to go chase after the one, the one little lost sheep. See, God is so unlike us. He cares for the least of people. See, he traded 2,000 of his own creatures that he made for one man. And this is only a strange shadow of how he traded his only son for you. And the more you, that you understand that God is merciful, the more willing you will be to let him disrupt your life. Because Jesus is here to, to disrupt your life. He's here to disrupt your finances. To disrupt your sexuality. Your humor. Your friendships. Your leisure. All of it. Jesus is here to change your normal. Change your status quo. You got to trust him. You know, don't try and hide your life from him because look, Jesus is a warrior and he is marching in. Now, it may be scary to obey him at times, but it is worth it. So dwell on his mercy. Yes, he is powerful, but he is so mercy. Hold on to that and you will not fear. Your fear will flee. The demoniac that we find in this passage, on the other hand, like he is a, a wonderful example of what faith looks like. He truly trusts Jesus. See, after his encounter with Jesus, uh, look at verse 18. After the encounter, he begs Jesus to, to let him go back with him across the sea. He pleads with Jesus not to be left behind. But he also shows a willingness to obey what Jesus asks. See, this, this faith is a, a double virtue. He wants to be with Jesus, but he's willing to wait until Jesus comes back. That is true trust. Does Jesus listen to his request? No. This man has to stay in the land of the Gerasenes. And then Jesus gives him marching orders. Read, read verse 19. Jesus tells him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. What a charge to evangelism. And so this man obeys. He stays there in that place, in the Decapolis, in the, in the ten cities on the east side, uh, all the, the ten pagan cities. He was there and he preached. He shared the gospel of what the Lord had done for him. And, and everybody was amazed. People believed in Jesus because of this action. His attitude in these moments, it reminds me so much of the Apostle Paul uh, who said, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Like, I would rather be with Jesus, but I'm here because of your sake. It's better for you. So what of you? When life's storms crash upon you, wherever you find yourself this morning, 
And, and you are just begging Jesus, please pull me out of this. Please rescue me from this because this is too much to bear. Whenever Jesus seems far and danger seems near and evil surrounds you and you feel lonely and in pain, what of you? Ask yourselves, how much has the Lord done for you? How has the Lord had mercy on you? Jesus left that man there to preach the good news to others. And if you are a Christian, he has left you here to do the same. You want to have paradise right now? I do too, I know. But Jesus says, no, not yet, my friend. Not until the work is done. Now is the time to share the good news of what God has done for us. It may feel scary. It may feel like a storm. But the Spirit of Jesus is with you. Do not fear. Jesus wins. You think this demoniac knew how to have a great conversation? Do you, do you think he was a great evangelist? No, I mean, he, he'd been living most of his life in the tombs. The Lord is victorious. The Lord traversed heaven and earth to seek this one lost sheep. It is impossible for us to mess up his plan. So let us obey him. Let thankfulness to God pour from your lips in the presence of all. He's got you. He's powerful and he is so merciful. Trust Jesus. Do you trust him? Trust Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, when we tremble and doubt, when we struggle to obey you, when this life feels like too much for us, we ask that you would cast out our fears. Let us see your power and your mercy. Heal us through your word. Let us know you. Until you return and finish this fight and bring us home. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our great mighty warrior. Amen.